Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Hello and welcome to The Drinking Hour here on Food FM with me, David Kermode, episode 42. This week, the most ambitious environmental conference ever organised for the wine world as we face a climate crisis. We'll talk to those behind Green Wine Future to find out what they hope it will achieve. Plus, Freddie Bulmer's back with his regular insight into life as a wine buyer. This week, why he's excited about a blind spot. And on Primeur, what is it and is it worth it? We'll find out. Plus, your recommendations from the IWSC Hall of Fame. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. The largest and most ambitious environmental conference ever for wine, unifying the entire trade around the most pressing issue that our society and our sector are facing. It's no small ambition, but then the climate crisis is a big problem. So thinking outside the usual box should be a given. Green Wine Future will take place in different continents over a four-day period this coming May, providing the opportunity for each part of the world to take a serious look at the local challenges they face and what they're going to do to tackle it. It's the brainchild of Pancho Campo, and the programme director is David Fuhr, and they both join us now from, respectively, Spain and the United States. Uh, Pancho and David, welcome to The Drinking Hour. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you fellow David. You guys. So, Pancho first. Um, I've mentioned the bare bones there, uh, and the ambition is enormous. Um, tell us what Green Wine Future uh, will achieve, you hope. Well, Green Wine Future you know, was created back in 2006 with the intention of well, creating awareness in the wine industry that there was something called, uh, in those days, global warming, climate change nowadays, and that it could have effects in the wine industry. Those were early days, so not many people were uh, capable enough of talking about the topic. Uh, but 15 years later, our goal, uh, we, we have three or four different goals. Number one, we want to bring solutions to the wine industry, not only to the climate crisis, but anything regarding the environment, sustainability, biodiversity, carbon uh, footprint, etc. Number two, we want to show the, the world that we're all connected. If the humble current coming down of, from the Antarctica you know, gets affected, viticulture in Chile will, will get affected. If something happens with Greenland melting, it will affect vineyards in different parts of the world. 
And goal number three is we want to convince people that we don't have more time. We have to act now and we all have to act, not just the governments, institutions and, 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 and appellations. Every single human being has a responsibility towards protecting the planet. And as the wine industry professionals, we, we would like to convey the same message to other industry. If every industry does its homework, you know, this could be a much better place. I mentioned the ambition here, and it's worth mentioning uh, for context that past uh, industry events that you've organised have included as guest speakers uh, former President Barack Obama and former US Vice President Al Gore, environmental campaigner too, of course, um, as keynote speakers. Um, so um, are you aiming that high for this? Yes, we are. We are. Uh, maybe not President Barack Obama, but we're trying to aim for, we always aim for four kinds of speakers, you know, wine experts, number one, of all different backgrounds, uh, scientists and experts from other parts of the, the world and other industries, then uh, world leaders and celebrities. So far, we have confirmed the participation of Francis Ford Coppola. I think that's a big name, mm. you know, not only as a movie director, but also he owns uh, wineries in California. Uh, we are in negotiations with um, Sam Neill from New Zealand, from Jurassic Park, Trudy Styler, Sting's wife. And of course, you know, I have invited Vice President Al Gore. I'm still awaiting his, his reply. And uh, we are through New Zealand Wines. They have invited officially the Prime Minister of New Zealand to do the opening speech. And I have sent a letter requesting the patronage of His Highness Kim Philip of Spain, Kim Felipe. So yes, we, we are aiming high. You certainly are. And it'd be great to get uh, uh, Jacinda Ahern as well. That would be uh, an amazing get. But the list you have uh, potentially lined up already is, is hugely impressive. Um, David, let's bring you in. Um, there's a view, and I think it's one that I share, that the wine industry has got off rather lightly uh, thus far when it comes to its climate impact. Um, is that a view that you would share? Well, that's that deserves a rather mixed response. There are plenty of organizations uh, and individual businesses and people who have addressed this, none less than Miguel Torres, who's been a strong supporter of Pancho's conferences from the beginning, uh, has stepped up. Uh, he was, he's been a pioneer in this. I think everybody would agree, uh, not only for his namesake winery operations uh, throughout the world, but also to kind of lead the way with the organizations that he's helped to develop and find on an international basis. Uh, so that's speaking very well of one of our, again, confirmed uh, wine celebrity speakers that he is. And in that, we are also looking to address the issues uh, of green marketing and green washing of that as well. We'll have a very interesting uh, no holds barred session that has been confirmed with its host and director for that particular session to really tackle that issue head on and to look at the people who are doing it right, those that who are not, and those that are somewhere in the middle so that we can really address this critical issue to all humanity. Pancho, uh, Miguel Torres, uh, as David mentioned, um, is one of those who has shown real leadership and uh, determination uh, on uh, climate change uh, within the, the wine industry. He's not the only one, but he's certainly a leading voice. I read that he was in part uh, inspired by one of 
the events that you organized. <laughs> yes, that's that's very encouraging, you know, that he, I mean, such a big name, you know, it's humble enough to admit that he, you know, he got motivated by someone like, like us. You know, he did declare that he got an interest in the climate crisis, listening to Vice President Al Gore at my second world conference on climate change and why. And that makes me feel really good. I bet it does. So what is it that... Uh, Miguel Torres and others like-minded have done, Pancho, that you would like to see others do? Well, for me, there's an American saying that I love, put your money where your mouth is, and Miguel Torres has put a lot of money into research, into adapting his winery to more sustainable practices. He himself decided to start driving, in those days, a hybrid car, now it's fully electric. He has installed solar panels on the roofs of every single part of his wineries. He, he, he's planting trees. He is doing research in Chile and California. Basically, he has put you know, money where his mouth is. And that's what I would like to see. And this is very important, what David touched upon before. There's a lot of greenwashing in the world. And that's why we're bringing Greenpeace as well as one of our partners. Uh, because, you know, it, it's one of the biggest problems, you know, that, you know, a lot of companies, a lot of organizations try to convince you that they're doing something and then you scratch the surface and there's not much. So that's exactly what we need people to do. Take action. And everybody can do something at its own level and within their possibilities. You know, gilding uh, Senor Torres's uh, lily a little bit, uh, he's also applied in some interesting applications of uh, carbon sequestration at his wineries. That issue uh, is the subject of one of our early podcasts uh, that's going to be uh, having as its guests uh, Diana Sess and Professor Emeritus at UC Davis, Roger Bolton, discussing in great detail the issues of carbon sequestration as it relates to wineries all over the world. In, in reference to your comment about outside industries playing into this, uh, there, I just received confirmation yesterday that uh, Patagonia companies, Birgit Cameron, who co-founded it, uh, is going to be uh, speaking uh, at the podcast uh, very soon with her, Ellen McCoy of Bloomberg, co-hosting that episode with me. Carbon sequestration is uh, fascinating, complicated, but uh, you know absolutely um, critical to to explore. Um, just uh, talk us as the program director through some of the themes that you expect to come up, David. Oh well, the themes are <laughs> quite wide. So most people, when they hear about sustainability issues, in the, at least as it regards to wine. Um, they think only of what's happening in the vineyard, which is essential. We all know that. However, issues of sustainability go far beyond what's happening just in the vineyard. It goes into issues of finance, financing various applications that are occurring in business, sales, winery development, even customer relations. It also impacts issues of what's happening in the winery. As I just mentioned, the carbon sequestration that is common enough to is an issue for vinification processes. Uh, it's also looking at human relations. How are we achieving sustainability in the, in, the, in the avenues of social equity in terms of dealing with uh, supply chains? And these issues are complex and issues that we understand are all paths to our common goal of having a climate that is less dynamically changing at this point.
Pancho, Pancho uh, you're doing this in an unusual way in that you're doing a series of different events that are all interlinked in different places, in different time zones, I guess so that everybody can take part. Um, tell us why you've chosen that approach. Yes, we, we chose virtually, you know, because when we calculated our, the carbon footprint of our event with President Obama, it was just obscene. I mean, you know, we were throwing stones over our own roof. If you add to that 50 or 60 speakers coming from different parts of the world, it, was, it made no sense. So, number one, we did it hybrid in order to reduce our carbon footprint, not hybrid, virtual. Second, the only way that you can reach the whole planet is by doing it on a virtual environment. But we saw with Wine Future earlier last year, we have two Wine Future, Business Wine Future and Green Wine Future. We saw that people in California and people in Oceania did not attend as much as, as we wanted, but that's because of the time frame they were attending the event. Our intention with this format is that we make it easy for people in California and the United States and North America to do it during their time zone. Then we move to Latin America, hosted by Wines of Chile. Next day, we go to Portugal and South Africa in their time zone, which will be, you know, in the morning session goes from 8.30 to 2 o'clock and the afternoon session goes from 2 to 6 approximately. Third day, it's the whole of Europe, but broadcast from the city of Po in France and from the city of Malaga in, um, in Spain. And the last day, you know, uh, it's Oceania. First, New Zealand, followed in the afternoon by Australia in their own time zone, which is going to be a challenge for us because, you know, when, when we have to broadcast the, the entire event from our offices here in Spain, you know, in New Zealand and Australia time, it's going to be, you know, we're going to be working, you know, from 11 o'clock at night until 6 or 7 o'clock the next morning. But it's a challenge and it's encouraging. Yeah, well, the cause is, uh, makes it worthwhile as well, doesn't it? David, um, you'll know, you know, from your pedigree in the, uh, the, the wine world, uh, you'll know well that there are uh, big wine companies, um, the likes of, of Torres, for example, um, and larger than that, um, uh, who can make a, a, a big impact. But um, are you aiming this at uh, a really sort of you know, small artisanal producers as well? Oh, no, everything, everybody, every size and type of winery is welcome to participate, involve itself and and attend uh, because the issues that are at hand are universal. And in that, it's also um, worth understanding that we have reached out from the beginning to wineries, large and small, corporate and individual. It doesn't matter. We will take everybody who has a sincere and genuine interest and information to share which is applicable to all these issues that we're encompassing here at Green Wine Future. Um, as a sideline, I do want to mention that uh, because of the issues uh, that Pancho had mentioned in term, regarding virtuality issues versus in-person live issues, there's also the issues of the pandemic we've had to, as, so, as everybody has, contend with. And in that, it's worth noting that each of our eight geographic host locations have the ability to should they choose to do so, though it's not required, have an in-person event that they can plan well in advance or do it a last minute if they wish that is adjacent and overlapping to that of Green Wine Future to support it and to support them. We don't require it for obvious reasons. We leave it flexible because every place is different. Uh, every uh, culture is responding differently and has different impacts 
from the pandemic. And so this is a, a very flexible opportunity that we're offering everybody on all levels in participating uh, at Green Wine Future. It's a great idea and it's the way we all need to think uh, these days as well. You never know, it's, it's a nightmare trying to plan anything. So I think it's a, a really uh, uh, sensible um, and also innovative uh, uh, approach. Um, and, and talking of innovation, David, um, I was impressed as a, as a man who's, who's got sort of broadcasting in my bones. Um, I was impressed by the kind of multimedia approach you're taking for all of this. Well, thank you. Yes, we are. Uh, we are making uh, extreme efforts to encourage uh, the attendance in various forms. Uh, we are working with all levels of media of all types. Uh, I think Pancho is better poised to be speaking on the technical aspects at this point. We're using a new platform called Hopin that we're really pleased to have uh, discovered. Pancho, would you like to uh, join in on this? You know, this alliance with Hopin uh, allows us to be able to offer something that people really look for when they go to an event, which is networking and promoting their product. So we have a virtual expo. Basically, you will have a virtual booth where you can have videos of your company. You can have documentation that people can download, but also you can set up your own meetings with, you know, if you have a winery, a winery representative wants to get in touch with that, you know, distributor or importer, they go to the network. They go to the virtual expo and they can arrange their Zoom meeting or they can connect via WhatsApp. Then also we have a networking area and that area will be available two weeks prior to the event. Anybody who has registered, a delegate, a speaker, a sponsor, an exhibitor, you will get a link and two weeks before the event you can uh, log into the platform and start networking because in that way, uh, you know, Two weeks gives enough time for people to arrange their own meetings, but also it frees them from commercial commitments to focus on the conference. Now, the conference itself is what we try to make different because we want to avoid the famous Zoom fatigue. People are tired after, after 20, 30 minutes of looking at a little screen if you're using your phone, you know, the face of three ugly guys like us. So what we're asking from our speakers is that they provide us with video footage recorded and we're encouraging them to record it with your iPhone, with your GoPro. So take for instance Miguel Torres. We ask Miguel that if he wants to talk about his sequestration, carbon sequestration machine, instead of him talking in front of a camera, go down to the winery with your iPhone, record footage of the machine working, and him with a voiceover can explain how the machine is working and then after they broadcast that 10 to 12 minute you know, documentary, he can connect live to answer questions from the audience. So that's the technology we're trying to implement. As the program director, I have to say that, you know, managing all of my hosts, moderators and individual presenters has become more additionally complicated. You know, I've been doing this with Pancho going back to uh, Hong Kong in the 2010 or 11, uh, where I was a speaker's coordinator and co-hosted that event with him in Hong Kong. Um, and that was tough. This is even more complicated and yours truly has no real Hollywood level experience in production and direction. However, I'm learning as quickly as I can so that we have a diverse and dynamic presentation available to us as much as possible. To be fair, some of our presentation sessions will be a standard conference host with a few uh, speakers on one particular subject. However, because of what Pancho just said about the, having so much of this pre-recorded, we have opportunities to include drone video technology and other dynamic, well-edited segments within 
the various sessions. Oh, it makes such a difference, that kind of sense of, of show and tell. And yeah, I think we all are a little bit um, uh, weary of looking at ourselves and others in uh, little boxes on, on Zoom. So it's a great idea. Uh, Pancho, you talked earlier on about greenwashing and uh, the danger of, you know, uh, being accused of that, um, talking the talk, not walking the walk, as it were, on climate change. So how are you going to ensure that what is discussed is turned into specific action? From my point of view, tomorrow we have a final meeting with the guys from Greenpeace. And you know that Greenpeace, one of the things that they emphasized when we had the, the first meeting last year said, our goal is to report people that are doing things against the environment and report companies that are doing greenwashing. So <clears throat> what I have in mind is to have Greenpeace lead whatever panel or whatever speeches are made in regards to greenwashing. I don't know if that makes sense to you, uh, David. That's only one of a great number of issues uh, that will be talked, up, talked about during Green Wine Future. And I think I spoke to that uh, already, and we spoke about that quite adequately. I mean, there's so much else to consider here. Um, our NGOs, uh, one of which is you know heavily engaged with issues of water, SOS Cape Town. Um, you know, we have a lot of issues talking about hydric resources uh, that we're addressing. Um, our, our friend in England, Linda Johnson Bell, uh, is going to be directing something to do with that. Um, in addition, we have uh, issues of you know, how does organic and biodynamic viticulture make a difference, or does it? So there's plenty of little controversies that you know, or potential controversies that we'll we will be addressing in the conference. And David, for those who don't make wine, who don't run a winery, what? Uh, is I mean, would you say there is still uh, plenty to be gleaned from the program you're putting together, even if, if, if people don't feel that they are able to enact a change, as it were? Oh, indeed. Um, we have issues of that are going to be addressed regarding consumer engagement. How can the individual consumer and a sm very small percentage of people who attend this conference are not in the business sector of wine? They are actually consumers of this, but highly educated consumers, I would add. We will be speaking to them, especially when it comes to issues of the supply chains. We have to bring in uh, the people in the shops and the bars and the restaurants and all this too. So what can we do on the ground? What can we do in uh, at our homes to address this? You know, uh, issues of packaging and recycling will be addressed and everybody has to contend with this, you know, because we all are accustomed to drinking wine from bottles. What do we do with uh, all this glass that's being manufactured and, and, and recycled? theoretically recycled, is it truly? So these are being tackled as well. During the event, we have uh, one break in the morning, one coffee break in the morning, one coffee break in the afternoon, and a lunch break. During our last event, we had a host by the name of Dan Nichol. He has a television program, online television program, and he provided entertainment, wine-related entertainment. He did wine tastings with Ernie Els, with the bass player of Linkin Park, with the actor Matthew Good from The Crown, and that proved to be very successful. And although the conference is for attendees that have registered, those segments of the conference, we stream them via Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, open to the public and free of charge. So we, we, we are joining forces with Dan Nichol, but also we are launching a program with the, the press release is a, it's to be sent tomorrow, announcing an initiative that we have called Why for the Planet. And Wine for the Planet is a gesture from the wine industry 
to, uh, to protect or, or to create awareness of how important it is to protect the most sensitive parts of the planet that we have identified into four groups. Number one is everything under ice, Antarctica, Greenland, the Arctic and glaciers. Number two, marine environment and coral reefs. Number three, the rainforest and the Amazons. And number four, countries or regions in risk of drought or flooding. So while for the planet are documentaries that I I am going to travel to some of these parts of the world with my team to record documentaries on these areas and to conduct tastings in some of these parts of the planet that you know nobody has ever done a, a tasting probably from on top of, of, a, of a glacier or from the of a, from the Antarctica. So this this is something that we will we will start doing the, the 9th of March. I'm traveling to Greenland and we will produce the first documentary and then you know we will continue with Iceland and the Amazons and those documentaries are going to be broadcast during Green Wine Future and open to the public. Mm. You've already done some uh, travel uh, to the Arctic Circle, uh, you've been to Africa I think uh, looking at the impact of, of climate change. Uh, tell us more about what you've already discovered. Oh, it's amazing. It's, I mean, it's so exciting because, you know, I had the chance to go to the Arctic Circle about three years ago. I'm a very keen diver, you know. I, I spend more time under the water than on top of water. Selling the coral reefs. So one of the things that I discovered, which is really interesting, in Greenland, there is a huge area of a few, you know, square kilometers covered by ashes. Ashes that came from the wildfires in Sonoma and California two years ago. And because ashes are black, are very dark, they prevent the albedo effect. So the ice or the snow below melts much faster. So that's one of the ways we are connecting. We're showing to the people that we're all connected. Something that happened in California and Canada, you know, has resulted in an impact on Greenland, which is you know, 17,000 kilometers away. Uh, we have also discovered that, for example, <clears throat> the Sunny tribe, which is together with the Inuits, are probably the only indigenous tribe remaining in Europe, they have changed their migration patterns because all their economy is based on the reindeer, but the reindeer feeds on lichen, which when you get the effects of climate change and that gets frozen, you know, the, the animal cannot eat uh, uh, frozen uh, lichen or, or herbs, so they have to migrate looking for food. And the other thing I want to show in one of the documentary is, you know, we're going hunting with a hunter member of the Inuit tribe in Greenland. Before they used to travel by snowmobile or dog sled. Now the snow has melted. And that trip that lasted 30, 35 minutes in dog sled now takes two and a half hours by boat to get to the hunting place. So there's a lot of interesting stuff that we can learn. And don't forget that Greenland and the Arctic are the temperature is rising five times faster than in the rest of it. If I can ask you both, uh, just what you would hope might be the legacy of uh, of this uh, particular event, uh, maybe David first. Uh, well, the legacy would you know best be served that uh, the wine industry on all levels comes to work together and realize there are certain issues that are not at all based on competition, but based on cooperation. And in doing so, we uh, want to ensure that Green Wine Future is seen as a pivot point, uh, and hopefully there'll be other pivot points to join us in tackling these issues 
and applying, applying resolutions to the climate crisis as it befits the wine sector. And Pancho, uh, your hopes for a, a legacy from Green Wine Future? Uh, my legacy goes two ways. One is my personal legacy, because one day I would like my kids to say, uh, my daddy tried. He tried really hard to create awareness within his sector. And for the industry, it's uniting the industry around the most crucial issue that is affecting not only the wine industry, but our society. It is time to drop our differences, believe and follow scientists, and start acting. And uh, Pancho, tell us how we can get involved. Very easy. We have a beautiful website called greenwinefuture.com. Very comprehensive because you have all kinds of information from the program to the speakers, uh, to the Wine for the Planet program, uh, the different commercial aspects, like you know, if you want to be a strategic partner, if you want to be a media partner, and if you want to register, take advantage of the early bird promotion that we have. You know, register for the full conference. We have priced it at 128 US dollars, but if you register before the 15th of February, you only pay 67. And that's for the four days that you can watch live or on demand for two months after the event has finished. David, you're, you've obviously got a, a packed schedule for this already. Um, if, if someone wants to get involved, can they still do that? There are still opportunities open. Uh, these uh, sessions are, have not yet been fully filled. So we strongly encourage people who have something to say, something to add to the conversation that is unique, useful, and readily usable to contact us via greenwinefuture.com. Okay. Well, I look forward to it. Uh, it sounds... Uh, as I said, really ambitious and, and uh, hugely worthwhile. So, um, Pancho and David, thanks for uh, taking time out of your days uh, in Spain and uh, in the United States to uh, talk to us here on The Drinking Hour. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. It's, a, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your support. In a moment, we'll have the first of our recommendations from the IWSC Hall of Fame. But first, here's news of another Food FM programme you might love. Thank you, David. I'm Jenny Linford from Food FM, and I'm exploring the world of cheese, from brie to parmesan and everything in between. So after enjoying the drinking hour, why not listen to my series, A Slice of Cheese? You can find it on your podcast platform and foodfmradio.com. Now back to David and the drinking hour. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition. Using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. It's time for the first of our selections from the IWSC Hall of Fame, medal-winning wines and spirits from the 2021 awards process. And let's start with a gold medal-winning carver, Joseph Valls, Grand Reserva Extra Brut 2014, won a whopping 96 points. A blend of the traditional carver varieties, Charolo, uh, Macabau and Paralada, uh, plus Chardonnay as well for a bit of added finesse. Carver produces since 1882. The San Jordi wine cellar was originally built as a family cooler and pantry, apparently. Underground cellars were added in 1890 and a shipping warehouse in 1919, which is still in use today. Great Carver history there. The judges described this as uh, uh, having a vibrant nose of pure citrus fruit, lemongrass, and an elegant, rich, flowery aroma. Great complexity on the full-bodied palate, rich, expressive brioche, sour honey, and lemon peel. 
beautifully made wine with elegance, poise and great definition. Next to Portugal, a silver medal winner, Gradil Reserva 2018 from Quinto do Gradil, a blend of Chardonnay and Arinto, a Portuguese uh, indigenous grape. Uh, talk about history, uh, documents show the farm was operating here in 1492. There are 120 hectares of planted vineyards. It's an hour away from Lisbon and a great place to go visit if you're in Lisbon, apparently. As for the wine, intense aromas of nuts and fennel, rich lime and pithy fruit with a white truffle texture and mineral character to the finish. Sounds uh, delicious and fascinating as well. And to the United States, Pure Paso Proprietary 2018 from J. Lower, a blend of Cabernet Sauvignon, Petit Syrah, a bit of Syrah and Malbec as well. It was a silver medal winner. The winery was started by Jerry Lower, who was the first to start planting on the California Central Coast, and he planted 280 acres near Monterey. Uh, the judges said beautifully integrated and bringing touches of dried geranium petals, licorice and vanilla pod. Flavours reminiscent of a blackcurrant preserve spread generously on freshly baked croissant. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. Now it's time for our monthly glimpse at life as a wine buyer with Freddie Bulmer, the buyer for Australia, New Zealand, Austria and Eastern Europe at the Wine Society. Uh, welcome back, Freddie. How are you? Hello. I'm very well, thanks, David. It's nice to be back. As always, I can't believe where the time has gone, but it's well, nice to be back nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were, um, we were all you know, donning our tinsel last time. It was a of festive course. special the last time we spoke, so and that seems like ages ago now. But anyway. It does, it does. But it's good that we're not doing a Blue Monday special, uh, that having been this yeah. week, so uh, well done avoiding that one. <laughs> yeah, well, I had one of your wines to get me through uh, Blue oh, well Monday, done. and it really did help, actually. So let's oh, start. Good with something uh, that the uh, Wine Society has done that is different. And when we say different, uh, we're going back to uh, uh, 1874 oh, here, aren't yes. we, I assume? Yes, we are. So that's yep, yep. quite a long time. <laughs> that is, that is. It's, uh, well, we're coming up for 150 years now at the Wine Society. So, yes, yeah. 1874 so, when it all kicked off. Tell us what you've done then. So, well, this is uh, about the Blind Spot, which is a range of um, wines that we've worked with now for actually coming up on 10 years. That's when we first launched it. Um, and just to give a bit of background on, on, on what the range it was in the first place, before I kind of talk about what we have done differently now with it. But this is a, a sort of an exclusive range of Australian wines that we've worked on uh, with Mac Forbes, winemaker in the Yarra Valley. And uh, about 10 years ago, there was a real uh, sort of shortage, I guess, in the UK of Australian wines that sat in between the uh, sort of very inexpensive, you know, supermarket or bulk stuff at the kind of, let's say, sub six, seven pounds a bottle. And then uh, uh, this sort of entry into fine wine at kind of 12 or 15 pounds a bottle there was a real kind of gap in the middle of a blind spot if you will um Ooh. so mac uh started working with us at the wine society as a kind of a man on the ground snapping up parcels of of wines that were already in tank at wineries across australia that might have otherwise been uh, blended away 
and he he bottled them for us basically you know we the buyer at the time uh it was pierre who's now head of wine at the wine society who was the australia buyer but he would have uh, tasted a number of samples and made a selection and then mac would have bottled them but what we've actually done is give that range a bit of a revamp and i've been, been chatting with mac about it really since I took on the Australia range actually at the Wine Society as as the buyer and I just felt that it was due a bit of a refresh but also there was real kind of untapped potential so we've decided to do something we'd never done before as a business and actually fund the buying of the grapes uh, so Matt can go out and, and find fruit that he's really excited about and, uh, and, and make the wines from scratch uh, so, so there's better traceability there but also it means that we can offer much better value as well by kind of getting in at the on the ground floor so to speak so yeah it's really exciting actually i'm uh, slightly surprised the wine society with its sort of illustrious history <laughs> and obviously with its membership and therefore its its income the cash in the bank um I, i'm very surprised that you've never done this before what why not i think it's a good question and i think sometimes with things that are you know uh touch wood anyway you know good ideas you think why didn't we do this before um and so you know hindsight is of course a a wonderful thing but there would um be you know certain risks involved obviously i mean the reason that we're doing this with mac is because we have such a special relationship with him you know we've worked very closely with him for 10 years um, and he's really been an instrumental part of our australia range as a whole so there, there was an element of you know we have to put our faith uh, in a winemaker and, and actually mac we felt was the person that we could do that with um, when it came to i guess evolving something that was already uh, in existence in, in one way or another but but yeah i mean you know we've got to start somewhere i suppose and uh hopefully you know well the main thing is that in, in 50 years time we won't look back and think oh why didn't we do that sooner we'll go right we did it that's great and we've been doing it really well ever since it's i think it's an exciting development and um and, and i think this is the right time to do it as well because we've had such a such a good bit of uh, growth as a business over the last year or two and uh and we've welcomed so many new members that it's quite nice to to do it now you know keep that momentum kind of going hopefully yeah i suppose you've also got to be mindful of members money haven't you so i, mm. I guess the wine society is never going to take some of the commercial risks that um a plc might mm. necessarily take yeah yeah exactly you know we have got to be very careful with with members money of course um and and also we've got to think about everything we do you know we're doing it for the benefit of the members uh and if anything was too much of a risk we wouldn't be taking it but one thing that's fantastic about this um, new way of working with with mac on the blind spot wines is that we have an agreement with mac that even though we've paid you know a large percentage up front for the purchasing of the grapes if when we taste the final wine you know if i when i taste the final wine i'm not happy with it mac has agreed that he will basically refund us and and he'll um bottle the wine under a different label and, and sell it elsewhere so that really kind of takes out the the risk from this whole way of of working which is great mm. because yeah you know we've got to think about members first uh, yeah that's why we exist basically yeah it sounds like a good deal from uh, your sort of side as as well um the blind spot range has as you said been around for about a decade yeah um, I'm, I'm a member i've i've had these wines uh, before um and um I'm, I'm thinking about wines i've had in the past they've always been things you wouldn't necessarily expect to find in australia so i'm thinking tariga nacional yes um yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about oh, one that i really loved 
loved. You had a Montepulciano about uh, yes, two years, years ago. ago. Yeah. Really good, really nice, but good. obviously synonymous uh, with uh, with Italy, with Tuscany. Yes, um, of course. So, um, what uh, what what are you going for this time? Are you sticking with this theme of the unexpected? I think this time, so that is something that we have discussed, and um, there have been some fantastic wines uh, in the blind spot range since it started. But one thing that was a little bit of a challenge was that naturally, because of the way that Mac was working, where he was having to find wine that's already made, essentially, which is in tank and doesn't have a home, you're slightly at the mercy of what is out there. So uh, sometimes we'd have, um, you know, these really interesting, you know, grapes, as you say, like Montepulciano and Torriga Nacional and so on. But then other times there were there were grapes that that sort of weren't quite so out there in the same way um but what we did notice is that people really like those sort of slightly weird and wonderful grapes so we didn't want to um well weird and wonderful by australian standards anyway we didn't want to remove those from the range completely but what we want to try and get going forwards is this nice balance between that sort of um, slightly progressive side of australian winemaking i mean australia as wine goes, is a very progressive uh, wine producing country. Um, but we, we also don't want to forget this incredible sort of heritage of winemaking that Australia has. They've got a fantastic history of of, uh, of, of winemaking. And, and, you know, there's styles that are actually quite traditionally Australian that have almost been forgotten about, really. So we don't want to lose sight of that, too. It's about kind of showing the past and, and the future and with this first range of four wines, it's going to increase to six next year. Um, it's worth noting, but um, the first sort of release of this updated range is made up of a, um, a Garganega and a Dolcetto. So, you know, again, those uh, Italian grape varieties, which are not often seen in Australia. Mm. Um, then, uh, you know, and they sort of represent that slightly sort of progressive side. But then we've also got uh, kind of keeping it quite traditional, just a really good quality syrup, Shiraz. Um, and I'm really pleased with that because I think that does stay true to a really quite traditional sort of style of Australian winemaking. And then, of course, there's the Pinot Meunier, which is completely wacky and out there. And I think yeah. really interesting. I actually had a bottle of that as well uh, just last night and it was really good. Mm. <laughs> really so good. did I. Snap. Yes, well um, done. <laughs> so so I want to, we'll, we'll do the Pinot Meunier first because, mm. uh, of course, uh, to, to those who are not sort of total wine nerds, uh, Meunier um, is uh, one of the three champagne grapes, a red grape. Um, it is very much, I always think, slightly the Cinderella grape because the <laughs> other two in champagne are, are, are Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Um, yes. But, um, but it brings, as I understand it, brings the kind of fruit profile into uh, the blend when it's uh, blended in uh, to uh, a champagne. And boy, is it fruity. Yes, yeah. I'm really pleased with how this wine's turned out. I must admit, um, well, and I don't think I'm alone here. I've not tasted many uh, Pinot Meuniers that have been made as still red wines. No, me uh, neither. You know, and, and most people's experience of Pinot Meunier, as you uh, quite rightly allude to there, is uh, it, the role that it plays as a part of the champagne blend. So I was really interested when I tasted this wine for the first time. But what I, I loved about it actually was it actually challenged me because it's such a light style of red wine in the glass anyway um that it's almost is it a rosé is it a red wine you know it's it's absolutely really difficult to yeah. know where you draw that line isn't it we I mean, were asking up? ourselves that question that yeah. very question last night is this okay. rosé <laughs> is it a dark rosé yeah or is it a light red and we really couldn't decide and that's what's wonderful about it um obviously aromatically it's, it's all that all that lovely kind of crushed raspberry gorgeous yeah. 
consciousness yes. is, is, is yeah. really nice. But actually, it's it's quite. Um, I had wondered when I uh, sniffed it whether it would be a sort of bit of a fruit bomb and a bit of a uh, sort of all mouth and no trousers. But quite <laughs> the contrary, it was. It's it's got a lot of. It's quite a, a a sort of sophisticated, quite adult kind of wine, isn't it? As well. Yeah, and that's what I think is really important about it because otherwise, you know, as soon as that initial novelty of well, is it red or rosé? you know wears off then you know I, I wouldn't want people to be left with a wine that actually isn't all that interesting in the glass uh, or, or i should say on the palate but this is you know it's got lovely pristine acidity it's got very delicate tannins you know it's sort of like a a, a lighter and very refined version of a of a Pinot in a Pinot Noir, I should say, in, in some ways, you know, it's it's got um, stylistic elements that are similar to Pinot Noir, but actually, it's really very much its own thing. And I think Max managed to make a really accomplished example of a single varietal red Pinot Meunier. And he he said to me, "It is red," because he said it spent three weeks on skins, believe it or not. Um, okay. So it's uh, it's uh, it's made very much as a red wine, but it's just right. that's that's the color that the grape gave and, and there's our answer then it. exactly it's, red. Yes. it's a light red but, <laughs> but it will be a fabulous summer wine as well it, although it's, it it's very good for livening up a dreary uh sort of blue monday january night as well i can tell you really really nice wine well done yeah. if, if people are listening and are curious i i really would um you know uh, I, you're biased but i'm not well, um, of course. And, uh, <laughs> yes yeah uh, i would heartily recommend this wine i thought it was fantastic good. and a word for the syrah too uh, which is a really beautiful i'd say quite modern style of australian uh, shiraz why do you call it syrah out of interest i think it's just uh, a sort of a nod towards the slightly um more refined example i mean in some ways it is very australian but in in, in other ways as you say it's quite a modern example because australia is perhaps best known for you know, bigger, fuller bodied, perhaps, you know, 14 and a half, 15 percent um, Shiraz. And this isn't that. This is much more sort of refined, balanced um, and fresh. And it's still very much kind of Australian through to its core. It's got lovely, pristine fruit. Um, but I think just Syrah sums up the style of it a little bit better than, than Shiraz, which I think uh, I think also it it's a bit of a nod to a sense of kind of mystery with the wine you know i think the fact that people open it and go well why is it labeled as syrah probably gets them thinking a little bit more than they would if it was just another australian shiraz um, but I, th I think i think syrah suits this style quite nicely well done on the branding too because uh, <laughs> yeah. it makes the previous branding look um, very boring indeed actually by comparison <laughs> but uh, no it's it's, it's really out there it's not uh, there are still these kind of, um, I think the, there are still some stereotypes which are inaccurate, actually. The, the wine society is a bit old fashioned, possibly a bit stuffy. And actually, wines like this, I mean, you look at the range you get from the wine society, it's anything but stuffy, to be honest. But but actually, when you've got yeah. design like this as well, um, it is it does send a very powerful signal, I think. Yeah, I'm really pleased that you've touched on that. Actually, I'm really, I'm so happy about how these wines have turned out. Um, that you, 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 I know are familiar with our bin series range, and this was actually done by the same designer who who did those. Uh, right. And he's he's a really talented designer. He's, he's got nothing to do with wine at all. He's just a really good artist. And uh, I knew when we were going to look at these wines and look at the 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 blind spot um, range and give it a refresh that we really had to give it a, a facelift as well a makeover uh, because I just want to make sure that the the image of the bottle does what's inside it justice and I think touch wood you know we've we've cracked that so 
Yeah, I'm well really done. glad. I'm pleased you like it. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's great. And uh, I, I, I'm very <laughs> impressed by the uh, Syrah as well. So um, that has been keeping you busy. Uh, it presumably, has. Um, you've had to um, wait a while for them as well because of the uh, shipping things. But we won't go into that because that's so <laughs> no. boring now. Isn't it? We, we've, we've talked about that before. Anyway, that. you've been very patient, I'm sure. Um, just before we leave Australia, um, I've um, if you follow me on social media, which I think you do, I've been going a bit I nuts do. with some Margaret River recently because I've had some um, just some uh, really uh, delicious wines um, from uh, Margaret River. I think uh, the most recently uh, the, the sort of the premium end of the um, Fast Felix. Um, Mm. Uh, oh, they're so range. good, aren't they? Really good, yeah. yeah. Um, Margaret River, um, I've never been I've never been on a wine trip to Australia, actually. So um, oh. you have been to Margaret River, haven't you? Tell us about I, it. I have. Oh, do you know, it's like paradise, actually. I, I was lucky enough to go to Margaret River in 2019. Uh, it was actually the first trip that I did when I had taken over the Australia portfolio at the Wine Society. So I got out there as a bit of a bit of a handover trip. And I think uh, for about three days before I was due to come home, I went out to Margaret River and I didn't have a clue what to expect. Of course, it's I mean, it's Australia's most westerly wine region. And it's quite frankly, uh, a bloody long way from, uh, you know, where I was spending most of my time in places not far from Melbourne and, and Adelaide. So it was uh, really uh, it was, I didn't know what to expect at all, but I was blown away. It's beautiful. And of course you fly into Perth, um, or I did anyway, and it's it's a three hour drive from from Perth to Margaret River. They sort of consider that their local airport. Um, yeah. And you just- That's a short so, hop for an Australian, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Yeah. And you arrive in this sort of little paradise town. It's a small town, but it's surrounded by beautiful forests and beautiful uh, vineyards and it's right on the coast i mean a lot of the vineyards are a sort of you know mile or two from from the coast and it's some of the most incredible dramatic coastline i i really couldn't recommend getting out there enough it's 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 gorgeous <laughs> it's mm. gorgeous well i'm obsessed with the wines at the moment i do have these kind of wine crushes you know i discover a particular <laughs> style from a particular place um and uh, and I'll, I'll, off i go and i i really need to to get there so yes um and margaret river no doubt represented in your own range of the wine society yes. too. i'm sure yeah yeah absolutely a, a good range really of, of margaret river wines and actually that was something i was really keen to bring in having having visited i mean like you i just completely fell in love with the place um and and just felt that the wines are, are so fantastic and i think they're some of the most consistent wines across australia as well uh, i remember a winemaker explaining to me that because of, of where margaret river is situated it's, it's basically surrounded by ocean on three sides it's a kind of a short fat peninsula uh, and uh, and the oceans have a have a, well they play a big part in moderating the climate and, and making it actually one of the most sort of consistent and, and less extreme climates of um, you know of australia's wine regions but it means that the wines are just they've got this lovely balance and just i find a real kind of an interesting textural element in a lot of the wines that i find really really attractive so mm. yeah i wanted to make sure that we have have a good representation of margaret river wines in our range definitely yeah well i'm uh, all for exploring those um before you go <laughs> let's briefly talk about on primeur or ah. in, in bond it's uh, sometimes referred to as um for those who don't know this is basically sort of paying up front for wine before it's bottled i think uh it's a, it's got a, a long history with the wine society as well hasn't it yeah we've been doing on primeur for a long long time actually it's been something which 
is really popular with with our members. Uh, I mean, you know, as I've, I've as I've said on on uh, here before, we're very lucky at the Wine Society because we sell to much of the UK's sort of most engaged uh, wine drinking people, I guess. Uh, and and Ompremer seems to really resonate. Uh, and, and also what we found with Ompremer that's interesting is that, that it seems to particularly appeal to to slightly younger uh, members as well. You know, you have this impression that Ompremer is bought by, you know, perhaps, uh, oh, I'm going to stereotype here, but sort of, you know, men of a certain age type of thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but actually, bit, it's a bit it's, of tweed, that kind of yes, thing. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Hat, actually, <laughs> exactly. 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 Very English. Um, but uh, it seems to appeal to, to actually, a, yeah, a younger drinker, which is good. And I, I suppose um, it's very popular with people who are trying to build up a cellar uh, and, and, you know, really kind of planning for the future. Well, when I was introduced to Entrepreneur, um, and I'm a bit older than you, so many years ago, um, I was told, you know, the, the old, it's a bit of a cliche, and it's not true either, by the way, but, but you know, you buy two cases, you hold on to it and you sell it for a while, you sell yeah. one, and then you've got a free case of wine. Now that's, yeah. um, for want of a better word, that was bollocks, actually. Um, <laughs> and uh, because, but like, that's never really happened, although the, the wines that I got early on have definitely appreciated the value, and I have appreciated them very much. Um, now, these days, uh, I don't think the value is necessarily quite there in the same way mm. with the classic regions like Burgundy and, and Bordeaux, um, So, uh, unless you're going to tell me otherwise. So, in <laughs> which case, why would we do it? Well, I think that's a good point because that is the, the classic, you know, buy it, buy it while it's cheap and it'll only go up in value. And as you quite rightly say, that's not the case as often anymore. And, and that's not to say that, that that isn't the case at all. There are still certainly wines that you know you buy on premier and then actually hold on to and uh, they only go up in value but one of the great benefits of on premier certainly um from you know the wine society point of view is a it can give people access to uh, wines that otherwise you know by by buying early they get access when otherwise uh, they'd be in such short supply and high demand when when they're actually released on the market so you're you can kind of get in early and secure stock that you might not be able to get um, but also we try to make sure that when we're selling something on premier it's always going to be a better price than it will be when it's actually sort of released onto the market physically um, so there is still um, a sort of a price incentive um, absolutely but it's it's less about the kind of investment and more about getting something while it's at the best possible price if you like so i do think right. that there's still some real benefits to it for sure yeah, and, and you have actually championed it. And you're, mm -hmm. a, um, you know, a, 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 if not the youngest buyer, then certainly one of the youngest buyers at the Wine Society. I'm and the, I'm the. Oh, well done, well done. <laughs> I, bet you, I bet you don't keep that one quiet in the no. office. Um, uh, so you, you've, um, you've actually um, embraced on Primeur with regions yeah. that hadn't previously um, been released uh, in bonds. So I'm thinking Austria, for example. Yes, yeah, Austria, also um, Australia, I've launched a couple of Australian entrepreneurs and uh, here's the scoop there's something from New Zealand hopefully on the way too but that's still mm. TBC and okay, uh, the details exciting. but but Austria uh, was the first sort of extracurricular entrepreneur I suppose that I did uh, and that was with Schloss Goebelsberg and the reason I was keen to launch that was I just thought that the wines themselves and the Österlager system in Austria lends both lend themselves perfectly to 
on Premier. And also, you know, with, with Schloss Goebelsberg, it's, it's a prestigious winery and the wines, once they're released onto the market, it's not long before they're not exactly easy to get hold of anymore. So I was quite keen to come up with a way of making sure that members, you know, who, who were interested in these wines wouldn't miss out uh, on getting them. So by selling them on Premier, it meant that basically we could offer the wine to members um, many months before it's actually available in the UK, before it even leaves the winery, naturally, with it being on Premier, of course. But but Michael at Schloss Goebelsberg would then basically wait for us to send then the resulting order that, that you know we would need based on the on-premier sales and we could secure that stock so before any other uk allocations have been sorted out we've got stock for our members and and they're happy and you know also it's great for the winery it's a good bit of cash flow for them too so really everyone's a winner and i just felt like austria as a um as a wine country lends itself really nicely to on-premier because the whites are some of the most age-worthy dry white wines in in Europe, if not the world, really, uh, and also the Erstelager system works because there's um, a sort of uh, a particular time of year that the wines uh, can be released from and not before uh, in order to be Erstelager. And so with there being a solid kind of release date, it means that, you know, we can take orders many months before that. And uh, and then when they're released, then, you know, my society members are the first to get them in their cellars. So, yeah, it was a win-win-win, really. Yeah, well, I've done just that, and and I think it's a, a great it is, opportunity yeah. to get get to one's mitts on uh, some uh, Goebelsberg <laughs> as well. So, uh, yeah. no, uh, great wines. So, um, Freddie, it's always a pleasure. Um, that was fascinating. Oh, thank, you. thank you very much. Uh, speak oh, to you, you next time. Speak to you next time. It'll feel like about five minutes from now, probably, but uh, <laughs> I look forward to it. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. Thanks, David. Bye bye. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. So there's just time for our final selection from the IWSC Hall of Fame. Let's kick off with a gold medal winning whiskey, Lefroig, 10-year-old Isla single malt scotch whiskey, won 95 points, a handsome gold medal. The judges said fresh and tinned peaches enrobed in golden honey with high notes of orange marmalade and ginger. Highly aromatic with toffee apple richness, white smoke and spicy pear laden, dry and enduring finish. Back to a wine, how about an Albarino, a silver medal winner with a very respectable 92 points. Grand Bazan Limousin Albarino 2017 from the beautiful Riespicius. Uh, in Galicia, wines were highly valued, only drunk on special occasions historically. I'm not sure that's uh, quite the case these days. Uh, the winery is a beautiful building with views over the Atlantic Ocean, covered in blue tiles. Uh, the judges said of this particular wine, peaches and cream on the nose with a side of soft and warm pineapple and sun-ripened nectarines, bursting with plenty of refreshing acidity. This is truly a remarkable, attractive wine. Sounds it. And it's to wonderful Greece, finally. Diaporos Zinamavro 2017 from Kier Yanni uh, won a silver medal. Uh, Zinamavro is the principal grape of the northwest Macedonia region. Uh, it's often compared to Barolo, um, something that uh, Freddie described himself on an earlier episode 
of the drinking hour. Fantastic grape variety. Uh, the judges describe an opulent nose of blueberry, confit tomato and dried raspberry. The palate is lively and expressive with a sour cherry core peppered with notes of leather, licorice and flowers. Well judged acidity and grippy tannins. Sounds delicious. And that is it. Great way to end. That's another episode of The Drinking Hour. You can follow us uh, on Instagram or Twitter at Food FM Radio, or you can follow me, uh, Mr. Venusaurus, on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you to my guests, Pancho, David, and Freddie. Thank you to you for listening, and do join us next time. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world.